Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Back to the Bins. I am Michael Bailey, and I am Scott Gardner. This week we are back to basics on Back to the Bins. Back to basics on Back to the Bins. It sounds like a one to grow on type of thing. Uh, with just talking about two random back issues, I am first tonight with a um, well. I'm going to call it a DC book, even though DC didn't publish it. Uh, there was a company in the 80s called the Independent Comics Group. And they seemed to exist to do one thing, and that was to publish indexes of DC Comics series. Oh, yeah, they did, yeah. They did five or six issues of the Justice League. They did a Hawkman. They did an All-Star Comics. Uh, they even did Millennium. Mm-hmm. Is one of their last ones. And I pretty much own all of them except the Legion of Superheroes. They did a five-issue New Teen Titans, which was awesome. They did a Doom Patrol, which I managed to find a copy of cheap. Just still haven't found that Legion one. So if anybody out there has one and just feels like giving it up, I'll take it. It'll, it'll go to a good home. Now, are they the same company that did like the official index to the Amazing Spider-Man and Marvel team-up and all that? Or no, is that... Marvel. I, I think the same people did them, but Marvel published those themselves. Huh. Because I bought the first five or six issues to the official index to the Amazing Spider-Man at that comic show we went to back in February. Yeah, that's where I found the Justice League ones. So, uh, and I was very glad to find those because I'd really like to get all of them because they're just great pieces of reference material. The one I have brought to talk about today was the first one I ever got. I bought this, and you can tell because it's all, it's not whipped to shit, as Scott would say, <laughs> but um, it, it's not in the best of condition. But it is one that pretty much was the foundation of my DC fandom. And this is... Number one to the official Crisis on Infinite Earths Index. Ah, yes. The cover on this thing is absolutely beautiful. It's George Perez, and it features Pariah, Harbinger, and Lady Quark on a mountaintop looking up at all of the major characters that died during the crisis on infinite earths. You have the earth Two Robin and Huntress. You have Supergirl. You have the earth Two Superman and Lois. You have the earth three, uh, Luther and Lois. You have Alexander Luther who didn't die, but neither did Superman or Superboy. Who's also on the cover. You have Cole dove flash, uh, wonder woman, the earth Two green arrow, the, uh, 
I guess what is his name? He's the the Asian hero that was in Superboy a couple of issues. Uh, Sunspot. Give me a second. I'm pulling up the image right now because I was oh. I was going to follow along with you, at least as far as the cover, anyway. Lori Lamarez, uh, Aqua Girl, the Starman of Space, Prince Rahman, um, and and a couple others that sadly I, I I know them, but I can't remember their names right now. You have Easy Company, I mean not Easy Company, um, the, the losers. losers are on there, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> Kid cover. Psycho. I like him. Kid Psycho. <laughs> uh, that's what I was accused of being a lot of the time, but it's just an absolutely spectacular cover, but. It's not the best part of the issue, thankfully. This thing is epic. Epic in every sense of the word. Uh, the, the editor is a guy named Murray R. Ward, who was very big in fandom in the 70s and 80s, contributed a lot to Amazing Heroes, pretty much put together all of these indexes. And then as writers, you've got Lou Maugen and Mark Wade, which I thought was really cool. And you also have a listing of reviewers, Chuck Huber, Andrew McLanny, Andy Mangles, who would go on to really be the uh, comic books in Hollywood guy for Amazing Heroes and then Wizard Magazine before they started to suck. And uh, Mike Teifenbacher. And the thing I like about this book and the thing that absolutely made me fall in love with it when I was all of like 12 years old the first time I got it is not only does it index all 12 issues of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which at the time was good because I had not read the entire series, and this gave me what I needed to know. It has a prologue that explains why the crisis happened. It has a listing of every Earth, Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth 3, Earth 4, Earth 6, Earth S, Earth X, Earth Prime, and then Earth A which is an alternate version of Earth-1 created when the criminal Johnny Thunder of Earth-1 meddled with the past, characterized by the Lawless League of America. That was from the very second uh, Justice League Justice Society crossover. Earth-B, an Earth where many DC stories could not have happened in regular DC continuity take place. For instance, Brave and the Bold, number 131, which shows Catwoman committing murder, probably happened on Earth-B. It continues, its continued existence is still debatable. Uh, from what I understand, Earth-B was also stood for Earth-Bob Haney, because his Teen Titans stories made like mincemeat of DC's continuity. Well, didn't he also work on... Uh... Or was that Robert Kaniger that that worked on uh, Brave and the Bold? And no, it was Bob Haney. Did a lot of those. Yeah, that that so. I I always had the impression that Earth B was made more for Brave and the Bold than uh, the yeah. Teen Titans because there's a lot of those stories. Um, it seemed like more Brave and the Bold stories than anything else is what wound up there because he kept teaming up with characters in a way that you couldn't explain basically. <laughs> But you had Earth C, where Captain Carrot and the Amazing Zoo Crew took place. You have Earth C minus, which was the comic book universe inside Earth C that had the just a lot of animals. I love that. Uh, Earth 12, an Earth where the children of the 1940 superheroes known as the Freedom Brigade have banded together as the Inferior Five. Um, alternate 
Earth 2, an Earth 2 in which Clark Superman Kent worked for the Daily Planet under editor Perry White in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, on Earth 2, Clark Kent worked for the Daily Star, and his editor was George Taylor. Until Taylor's death, Perry White was merely a reporter. This has never appeared as the distinct Earth, but was posited to exist by E. Nelson Bridwell in the letter pages of Superman Family. And then there's uh, one of the others, Crossover Earth, where Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man took place. And, you know, the, the Hulk, Batman, the X-Men, Teen Titans... And then it goes into the indexing. And, you know, to me, a lot of indexes on the internet could take a cue from what these people have accomplished. Because not only does it give a cover description to every issue, the cover credits, a story titled, a complete credits, but it gives feature characters, guest stars, villains, guest appearances, other characters. And in all of those... They give you when the character was last seen. So, for example, in issue number one, they have the Blue Beetle 2, Ted Cord, not to be confused with Dan Garrett, the original Blue Beetle. First appearance in a DC Comics, last seen in AmeriComics special number one. So, yeah, getting really specific there, which I, which I absolutely love. Is that what it says for Blue Beetle? Yes. Oh, that's awesome, because I actually have that AmeriComic special number one, I, so that's I, cool. I think I have it around here, too. I didn't realize that that was his last appearance before Crisis. That, that's very cool. But in Villains, it says, Dr. Polaris, last seen in Wonder Woman number 304, Johnny Quick of Earth 3, Power Ring, and Superwoman of, all, of Earth 3, all last seen in Justice League of America number 232. Keep in mind that it was a panel. In Justice League number 232. Like, two, or, one or two panels showed them, and that was it. But it's in here listed like that. It gives some comments and then a full synopsis before going on to the next issue. Eventually, it would go into not only last seen in, but appears next in. Like in, in issue number two, Colossal Boy. Uh, last seen in Tales of the Legion of Superheroes number 325 appears next in issue 5 of Crisis on Infinite Earths. So that is just... It, just the level of detail staggers me, and I'm willing to bet that every bit of anal retentive fanboyness that I now possess and still possess to a large extent came from this thing. Because it's so, the level of detail is so specific. In, for issue 5, for example, this is amazing. Uh, issue 5, the guest stars that are heroes take up nearly two pages of listing who they are, where they were last seen, and where they are seen next. Just staggering. I can't, it must have been mind-blowing to do this sort of thing. And the synopsis you want detailed synopsis. The one for crisis number seven goes on for about two pages as well. It's a lot of text to explain what happened in a comic book. I just absolutely love this thing. Love it to pieces. The, it's got every cover and it's got, I think it's got an, yeah, it's got a, no, it just ends with a synopsis to issue 12. And, there is one for the crossover. 
yeah. of Crisis, which I also have. It's In fact, it was sitting right under this one. But I can't tell you how important this book is in terms of me collecting comics. Just as important, I think, as Superman number 8 and Action Comics number 591. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to bring it. Because I always, you know, it seems like every once in a while I'll bring a book like this. But it's just to, you know, just to express my eternal gratitude in this case of what this book represents and how much it taught me and why I think I had an easier time slipping into pre-crisis continuity because it was all explained right here in this issue. Really simple, direct, and uh, puts kind of another hole in that, you know, new readers aren't going to get this stuff. These are, this and the crossover one are reprinted, which was awesome. In the Crisis on Infinite Earths Absolute Edition, in the in the supplementary book, uh, in addition to listing more Earths than are listed here. So, but seriously, if you can find this, if you find it in a fifty cent bin, hell, if you find it for five dollars, buy it because it's something well worth owning, in my opinion. That book, uh, I don't know if it still does, but for a while was going for a hefty little sum. Because I bought a stack of them somewhere. I can't remember where. And for a while, I was selling them on eBay and making a mint off of them. Because what I had intended to do at one point was build another collection of all of the crossovers and sell it. You know, I was going, I was going to uh, have, you know, the, the 12 issue series itself. Um, both of the cro- you know both of the indexes and then all of the crossovers and I wanted to put that up on eBay and see what it would go for because I've never seen one listed on eBay I'm sure there has been over the years but I've never actually seen one and I'm curious just how much money you could make off of that but I've never been able to to build a second collection I actually have a, a collection for myself of all the crossovers and it was a royal bitch to assemble. So I can only imagine what you would uh, be able to, uh, you know, be able to to get for that. But I looked at, now. Are you talking the guy that's standing next to Superboy on the cover back there in the background? Is uh, that, what do you mean? The the one that you were wondering which what the character's name was. Is it that guy? That's one of them. That's one of them. Yeah. Right. The guy that's standing just behind Lori Lamaris. That's Sunburst. Yeah, Sunburst. That but I cannot get... I can't find anything that'll tell me the name of this dude that's standing just to Superboy's... Uh, to his left in that picture. I don't know who the hell that guy is. Well, his left, our right. Yeah, our right. But uh, isn't the dude with the eye patch Captain Storm? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay, because I, I, I can't remember those characters. I mean, I had to be reminded of Lord Volt. Uh, yeah, it's Lord Volt, and then I think... Back there, like right where Starman's got his arm up, I think that's his daughter, the, yep. what's her name, Princess Fern or something like that? Yep. But, uh... Yes, it is. Yeah, I don't know who these other people are. This one dude, his name is like Malador or something like that, but, uh... <laughs> yeah, that guy, that guy next to uh, Super... He looks familiar, I just can't place... It's not Powell Smith, is it? I don't think he died in the crisis. I don't think it's. I don't think that's him. Because he he looks Asian to me rather than Indian. But I don't know. Then again, I just enlarged the picture, and I guess he could pass for Indian. But I, I don't think he's supposed to be. 
But, uh, I don't like the fact that a Wonder Woman was on the cover, even though she came back like a year later. Well, you know, <laughs> that's that's the other funny thing is that a lot of these guys didn't stay dead, or they they ended up being revealed later to have died in some non-crisis related way, like Nighthawk. Later on, was uh, was revealed to have died a completely different way than we see him die in Crisis. And wasn't he one of the past lives of? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It turned out he was a past life of Hawkman, and uh, mm-hmm. and Cinnamon was a past life of uh, of Hawk Girl or Hawk Woman or whatever identity she is this week. I can't ever keep them straight. But uh, you know, like Lori Lamaris came back. I think uh, didn't Tula come back at one point? I thought. I think she. Well, she. I think she came back during uh, Blackest Night. I know she. Or I know her. Yeah. She had a Black Lantern in the but, first issue. So I mean, even prior to that, somewhere in that twenty-year stretch between Crisis and Infinite Crisis, I thought she came back, but I could be. I, I could be mistaken. I'm not horribly versed on Aqua Girl, but uh, but some of the, I know some of these guys came back or, or were. Something happened, you know, like Starman. You know, he he got incorporated into the the James Robinson stuff, and yeah, I love this uh, this cover image. That's another one of those uh, covers that w- that would make a really nice T-shirt. I'm not really happy with how he was folded into the Starman continuity, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, that one. I think I thought he was reaching a bit with that one. Well, the thing that bugs me is it completely and utterly undermined Will Payton. That's true. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Just, oh, God, that pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we will be discussing that down the road, sir. Oh, yes. <laughs> but um, I actually bought this one off the stands, if you can believe that. I remember buying, I bought this set. Oh, you're old enough, so. Twilight Book, oh, screw you. At <laughs> Twilight Book and Game in, uh, in Syracuse, New York, I actually bought it off, uh, I think off of one of their spinners where they usually had like indie books and stuff like that. But yeah, I got that there. I, th- I might have even bought this right about the same time I bought one of those Silver Wolf uh, comic book trivia comics. <laughs> Seems like that was, that might have been the same trip. But, uh, all right, we're getting into the uh, second half of the show. If we're ready for the second half of the show, did you have anything else on? No, nope, that, that was it. Just awesome. Just bring, bring my love for the official Crisis on Infinite Earths Index. <laughs> well, speaking of bringing the love, I have got one that just, wow, I love this. But I really, really enjoyed this one. I'm going to tell you all about it. We're going back to September 1980. Great year, 1980. And this is... ROM number 10 by Marvel <laughs> Comics. Awesome. awesome cover on this by Michael Golden that depicts ROM over Washington, D.C. He's over the Capitol building, actually, and he's uh, there's all these jet fighter planes streaking all over the sky, and ROM is actually slamming into the wing of one, one of them and ripping the, the wing right off. It is a beautiful cover by, uh, by Mr. Golden on this one. Written as is, I believe, the entire series. Bill Mantlo was the writer, and the artist on this one is Sal Buscema. Yay! And I don't normally point out anything more than just the writer, artist, inker, whatever, but uh, on this one I'm also going to make note of Joe Duffy as the editor, Um, and uh, that was because not long after this, 
she would become very closely associated with Marvel's Star Wars title. And uh, after I do the uh, episode review proper, I want to talk just a little bit about Marvel Star Wars. The original cover price on this was 50 cents, which I think had just gone up. Um, I I think it was uh, 40 cents an issue or two just before this. Um, I don't know why I remember that, but I just do. So somewhere... Either issue 9 or this one itself went up a whole 10 cents, which was a big deal back in the day. And the story title on this one, and you're right, that is a horrible expression. I'm going to try my best to start breaking myself from from using that expression. (laughs) Title on this one is Warrior Over Washington. So we got Rom, and he's been on Earth less than a week, and he's already lost the most powerful weapon in his arsenal, his mighty neutralizer, to the evil dire wraiths against whom he is waging relentless war. We see him at the beginning of the story. He's streaking through the skies, and he's lamenting the loss of his missing gadget and pursuing the trail of his only Earth friends, Brandy Clark and her boyfriend, Steve Jackson thanks to his handy-dandy energy analyzer. He locates them in lockup in the Clareton Jail. Seems that the local law just doesn't buy into the couple's wild tale of robot aliens and killer carrots. And we get a nice recap that brings us up to speed on who all the players are and how the agents of the dire wraith snatched and hid Rom's neutralizer. Rom, having heard enough, pulls out the wall of their jail cell turns his analyzer on the fuzz, who all turn out to be human, by the way, and then he puzzles over why these Earthlings are so scared of him when his sole purpose is saving them from the horrible menace of the wraiths. Brandy gives him a pep talk and assures him that humanity will come around to the truth eventually. So Rom scoops up his friends and they fly off, much to Steve's surprise. Rom has to remind Steve that this isn't the first time that they've flown together and Steve is all like, Oh, 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 yeah, 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 that's right. Make a note of that, listener. That's important. Hours later, the fugitives watch the sunrise and try to plan their next moves. Rom is intent on retrieving his neutralizer and needs his friends to help him find the place that he has learned that it was taken to, the city of Washington, D.C., They try to talk him out of it, explaining how well-guarded the city is going to be against him, but he explains that without his neutralizer, he not only can't banish dire wraiths to limbo, but that they might figure out how the weapon works and release all of the wraiths that he's already banished to limbo, thus dooming the entire galaxy. Brandy draws Rama map, and after a tearful goodbye that really tugs at the Space Knight's heartstrings, Reminding him of his lost love, he's off to Washington, leaving behind a sobbing Brandy and a strangely smirking Steve. We are treated to some very, very cool panels of the citizenry of Earth observing and reacting to the sight of Rom the Space Knight streaking through their skies, one of which is a reporter woman on a train. After a bit, Rom closes on the city, and we get a uh, nice scene of Rom wondering just how many nations Earth has anyway, and why isn't the planet unified under one governing body like his home planet of Galador is. The Air Force picks up Rom on radar, and in my one nitpick of the story, 
scrambles fighter planes out of Lackland Air Force Base to intercept him. Now, folks, I've been to Lackland Air Force Base. I took my basic training and my security police academy training at Lackland. Lackland Air Force Base is in Texas. So, you know, maybe Lackland was the only Air Force Base that Bill Mantlow knew by name or something. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but I thought it was worth pointing out. You know, not that a kid in 1980 would have been likely to know or care, but, you know, like I said, I just thought that it was worth pointing out. It's just a very strange place for these uh, planes to have come from. I'm sure that there are Air Force bases closer to Washington, D.C. than Texas. Anyway, uh, so as the movies have more than adequately pointed out to us by now, what's the first thing that we Americans do when friendly aliens show up on our planet? (laughs) That's right. We try to our goddamnedest to kill them. So, you know, I would not consider myself a Sal Buscema fan by any stretch of the imagination, but there is no denying that the art in this issue, particularly on the pages uh, with the just amazing fight between Rom and the fighter jets, it's just stunning. It's really, really some good stuff. Really dynamic and, and really fluid, beautiful to look at. So at first... And for a while, Rom tries his best to just evade the fighters, but eventually, even a gallant space knight gets kind of tired of bombs and bullets and stuff, so he turns on his attackers. The art, again, just spectacular, as he takes out the planes in this really epic fashion, but without the loss of a single life. Uh, But just as he stands triumphant, he is struck from behind, rendered unconscious, and beamed aboard a ship that looks a hell of a lot to me like a shield helicarrier. Turns out it's not, but it really does look like one. Aboard the ship, dire wraiths congratulate themselves on the success of their new weapon that is capable of stunning even a space knight. Back in Clareton, West Virginia again, Brandy begs her boyfriend Steve not to leave her, but he says he must find them a good lawyer, and so he drives off. However, he doesn't go looking for legal assistance. He goes back to the jail that they escaped from. And he meets up with the sheriff that they ran from. The sheriff doesn't slap the cuffs on him. Instead, the lawman actually casually walks him to an isolated cell block reserved for special prisoners, where we find the real Steve Jackson behind bars. And uh, and other Steve wraps up our issue by proclaiming, there's no need for two of us to exist so one of us will have to go. And dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I loved this issue. Now I have been very, very, very slowly reading my way through this series. I say th- I, I, I say that very, very slowly, not because it's not great or anything, just because I, I've been busy with so many other projects and so many other things. This is on my stack, and every once in a while I'll pull off an issue and read it. And up till now, I've been digging it, I've been enjoying it, but nothing really blew me away until this issue. God, I, I really loved this. It was, just, it was just a lot of fun. And, you know, I have long been looking for something that, you know, I, I know I've said this a, a million times before, but my gateway drug into comics... Honestly, especially comic collecting, you know, actually saving issues and such, really started with Marvel's Star Wars. And 
so I have been chasing that feeling for a long time of really wanting to recapture the magic of what it felt like buying Marvel Comics Star Wars off the rack as a kid and reading those issues brand new. And damned if this isn't the closest I've come to that in a very, very long time. This really had the same feel to me that I got from from those old Marvels, you know, Marvel Star Wars. So I think this is going to bump up on my must-read list. You know, this is this is going to have to be something that I'm going to get to much more frequently than I have been getting to it. But uh, I really, really got a kick out of this issue. It was fantastic. Awesome. So have you read uh, read any ROM? I have not read any ROM. I really regret not picking up ROM in the 50-cent boxes when I had a chance to. Because now they're getting, they're getting a little pricey. Nah. They really are. Um, nah. Not a bad thing, mind you. But just, you know, for me, I, I don't want to pay a whole lot of money. I really don't. I so. have assembled my entire run, which includes several number one, several, you know, several printings of number one, all of them for under a dollar a piece. So, yeah, you, you can do it, dude. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're determined to do it, you can do it. Because I, I just recently actually completed my, my collection. I have all the issues and all the annuals. And uh, I have a buddy, uh, Adam Tebow, who I believe you met when we went to the uh, yes. comic convention last time. He's uh, working on ROM right now as well because uh, whenever I meet up with him at that convention, I help him spot ROM issues out of the 50-cent bin. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm sure you could do it if you wanted to because the, uh, there's not – to my knowledge anyway, there's not any particular issue that, that prices high for a reason, if you know what I mean. You know, It's not like yeah. there's some – you know, Marvel Universe changing event that happened or some special appearance or where there was uh, one issue where the X-Men, including Wolverine crosses over. But even that one, I don't think really prices for much these days. So, but, you know, that's not to say that it's not worth your time, because just because a book, you know, just because you can pull a, a whole run of something out of the 50 cent bin doesn't mean that it's not awesome. I mean, that's really that's that's one of the purposes of this show is to to tell people that, you know, you can get great comics for damn cheap, you know? Yes. And uh, I'm telling you, this this is the most excited I've been to read an old Marvel comic in a hell of a long time. This was just good, old-fashioned fun. It was just fun. It was just really cool. I mean, ROM is damn cool anyway. But this was the first issue I've read of this series so far that really showcased all of his coolness because he does everything that, that was the cool things about ROM. You know, he flies, he... You know, he fights stuff, he tears stuff up, he takes bombs and bullets and stuff, he uses his analyzer thing, and, oh, it's just, it's really cool. The only thing he didn't do was use his neutralizer only because he didn't have it. But by not using his neutralizer, it actually got to showcase how tough he really is just himself, you know, with with being able to, uh, you know, fight fighter planes and stuff like that. And plus there's... uh, a great shot in here of him actually using his energy analyzer and, and showing how that works in the little readouts that it, you know, that it shows him and stuff. It's, it's basically like a ROM's eye view of the control panel of the thing. I thought that was really cool. Cause you know, as a, as a proud owner of the actual toy of ROM, <laughs> it's not actually, the toy is nowhere near as cool as he's depicted in these kind of, he does so much more in the comics and there's so much more to him than the toy, which is very, 
basic and functional, you know. But uh, yeah, I I thought this was great, and I, I I'm coming to really enjoy his character. He, I see a lot of parallels with uh, with someone like uh, with Superman to a certain extent, as far as him being just very gallant. You know, he he definitely has a a higher moral standard and, and things like that that he holds himself to. There's a little bit of the Silver Surfer in there with you know him constantly pining for the the lost love he left behind back on Galador and stuff um there, there's just a lot of different elements to him but he he's a very noble character and I, I really like that you know we we've kind of gotten away from that kind of a character in comic books I think sometimes you know a guy that's very selfless you know he he's doing all this because it's the right thing to do you know nobody's making him go on this mission and sacrifice his humanity and all this other stuff that he's going through. He's he's doing it because it needs to be done. I, I find that very Superman-esque and I like that a lot. That That's really cool. So yeah, I am definitely going to continue on reading me some ROM because I dug the hell out of this. Awesome. And uh, I think it's high time that Marvel shelled out the three bucks it would cost them to buy that character back and put out an essential or something. <laughs> the three dollars. Well, whatever. I mean, I can't. Come on, it can't be that much. I don't know what the problem is. Why they don't? You know, I, I'm wondering what's holding that up because they they are not allowed to reprint their own stories that feature ROM. You know, they can't do essentials and I think that there's even some material where ROM crossed over into other books where some of that material has not been reprinted you know, wherever because ROM was featured in it and I just, I don't know what the deal is with that. I mean, it's not like somebody else picked it. You know, like the Micronauts got picked up by other companies later on. ROM has not. Ever since, whenever the license expired or whatever that deal was, ROM just kind of fell into some weird limbo state and there he lies so i wouldn't think especially seeing as how it comes from what most people call a failed toy you know that it, it couldn't be that expensive could it and even if it is you I, never know yeah you, you never, never know. know but now i mean even if it is expensive by our standards, you know, now they got mouse dollars behind them. They they could afford it. They they could buy back mom. mouse dollars. Yeah. Those are those are those are big dollars too. Those are very very big dollars. Well, you know, not you know, now that I think about it, it's not even the rights. Buy the whole damn thing. Buy buy ROM back. The the whole package and put ROM back out because you can't tell me that nerds of our generation would not buy a ROM figure. You know, it's like when they re-released, uh, you know, the evil Knievel stunt uh, character, you know, a few years back. They, they put out like a recreation of what he originally looked like back in the 70s when I was a kid. And it was a chintzy plastic piece of shit, but it sold like gangbusters. So you can't tell me that a, a re-release of ROM, especially if they jazzed it up a little bit, really made it awesome, that that wouldn't sell. At least among comic book people. I think it would sell like hotcakes. I really do. Alrighty.
Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of thecomicforums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demonzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Star Order, defenders of justice and truth, have been ambushed by the evil magicians, the Diorites. The Soul Star Order has prevailed and are now seeking out their scattered enemies. One of these knights has followed the trail of the Diorites all the way to Earth. This one the Diorites fear more than all others. This one has hounded them and kept them underground for centuries. This one alone could wipe them off the face of creation. He is Rom, Lord of the Soul Star Order. Rom, the Wraith Slayer. Rom, the Space Knight. Even he must be careful. The Diaries can assume any form they wish. Rom counters this with the Energy Analyzer. With it, he can see through appearances and determine the true essence of any being. Rom also has a weapon unique to his order, the Neutralizer, which can disorganize any molecular structure. He has rocket pods, which can instantly send him soaring. He has a translator through which he can communicate with any intelligent being in the universe. And his respirator allows him to breathe in any atmosphere. Rom... Lord of the Soul Star Order, Rom the Wraith Slayer, Rom the Space Knight, the microelectronic creation from Parker Brothers. Excelsior, Spider-Man fans! We're Thomas Mattis and Dynamark, and we want to invite you to the most web-slingingest podcast around. Spectacular Webs Podcast. A podcast dedicated to one of the best animated superhero shows on television today. The Spectacular Spider-Man Animated Series. Where we review each episode of the series. We dive into music, art, and story, and web and special guests for interviews. All in our own slapstick comedic chatter. So if you're looking for one swinging podcast about your favorite web slinger, zip down to the Spectacular Webs Podcast at www.spectacularwebspodcast.podmatic.com Or search us out on iTunes by typing Spectacular Webs in the search box. And please remember to leave us iTunes reviews when you go to iTunes and fan mail at spectacularwebs at yahoo.com So until then, stay Stay spectacular. spectacular!
while attending a demonstration in radiology. Student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider, which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers, and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, The Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all of its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn dot com. To him, life is a great big hang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find the Spider-Man. Godzilla, king of the monsters. Fantastic beyond comprehension. Gripping beyond compare. Astounding beyond belief. The mightiest monster of them all. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible. SOS, SOS, SOS. This is Tokyo SOS. A Godzilla podcast. We are dedicated to reviewing every Godzilla movie ever made. From the good, like Gojira, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, and GMK, to the bad, like Godzilla vs. Megalon, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, and Godzilla vs. Megagirius. We'll even review the reviled abomination that is the 1998 American Godzilla. Along with all other things Godzilla. So if you're looking for a good stomping time with your favorite 150-foot-tall king of the monsters, come on over and listen to the Tokyo SOS Podcast. You can find us on iTunes by searching Tokyo SOS, and please drop us a line at TokyoSOSPodcast at gmail.com. So remember, fans, RUN! IT GODZILLA! Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. This looks like a job for Superman.
monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. They are the first and best team of mystery men ever to assemble for the cause of justice. The heroes that have been part of their ranks are legendary. They fight for America and for democracy, and yet no one has devoted a podcast to their exploits. Until now. Unfortunately, it's hosted by these guys. I don't care what Julia Schwartz says. Yeah, league sounds like a baseball team. I f- hate baseball. So there you go. Um, first f bomb of the show. Um, How did you not- beat me to the first f bomb of the show? <laughs> Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey present Tales of the Justice Society of America. Fridays at two true freaks dot com.